All right, good morning, Ridgepoint Church. Turn to the person next to you, give them a fist bump, and say, it was worth getting up this morning just to sit next to you. It's a whole lot to remember, huh? Man. Listen, we're really glad you're here. I gotta, we're going to start off today a little bit different. Everyone's like, I'm still trying to figure out how to say all of that. I get it. Uh, listen, we're glad you're here. Uh, we're going to start off today a little bit different. We're going to start off with a pop quiz. Today's a special day at Ridgepoint. There's a lot going on, and everyone loves pop quizzes, right? No, not at all. But, but this is easy. There's no trick questions. One question, pass or fail. If, 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 not if there's any work involved, but if you could get more fit today without doing any work, if you just get more fit, wake up this morning and you can, you can run longer, you don't get as tired, you have all this. Would you do that right now if it's possible? Would you, who wants to be more fit? Yeah, that's easy. We all passed that test. Good job. You can go home now. No, I'm just kidding. Um, we, we all want to be more fit. There's things about our life that we want to do better, and, and fitness is typically at the top of the list of things that we want to do better. So the, the issue we face is not the, the desire. We have the desire to get there. The issue we face is either an issue of, of planning or execution of that plan. We say we want to get fit. The problem with getting fit is we have a desire to get fit, but sometimes our desire for cheeseburgers is, is much more powerful than our desire to get fit. Or our desire to sleep in and not get up in the morning and work out is, is, is a stronger desire than the desire for us to get fit. And here's the point in that, that, that for every one of us, the hope of our future has to become more powerful than the comfort of our present. Like we have to get that. The hope for our future has to become more powerful in our life than the comfort of our present. What do I mean by that? When we talk about fitness, we want to have the hope of future. We, man, I think if I start exercising and eating healthy, I could lose weight. I could have more energy. I could, I could do more things that I want to do. And there's the hope of the future, but it's a lot more comfortable tomorrow morning at 530 when that alarm goes off to hit snooze and say, I love the comfort of, the, of our present. Well, the same thing is true when it comes to our families. Because for most of us, if I asked you a second question and said, how many would want your families to, to be healthy and functional and, and, and spiritually growing and, and all those things that we, we aim for in families? We'd say, well, yeah, of course I want that. So then the question that I have is, well, then why, as we look across the landscape of our country in particular, does it appear like the family's starting to, to falter and at some point fail? Now, we're, we're in the midst of a family series. We're in week three of a four-week series. We're talking about the game of life. And, and each week, we've been kind of building on, we have our, our game of life car over here. We've been adding to it week to week. And, and first, it was, it was a driver, and then it was the, the spouse that was next to the driver. And, and today, we add to that. If you play the game of life, you know what's coming. We add to it our kids. And we're going to talk today about the idea, the more complete family and what it is that, that looks like. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up this, to Psalm chapter 127. And we're going to walk through this psalm together in a brief time because we do have some guests. So we're going to let them kind of share uh, what they're here for at the very end this morning. I'm really, really excited about that. But if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Psalm 127. If not, the words are going to appear up on the screen. Also, if you'd like to take notes, we have notes for you this morning. We'll go through this pretty quickly. Um, but as we talk about this idea of, of, of family, we talked about week one. Uh, foundations and, and sacred singleness. That's part of what we value as a church is, is for our singles to have a sacredness about them being single. Uh, last week we talked about, Michael did a great job talking about kind of redefining roles in, in relationships. 
And today as we add kids into the mix, we talk about the bigger picture, the bigger aspect of what family's about. Uh, we're going to use Psalm 127 as a backdrop. And as we do that, I want to make the statement at the very outset. When it comes to anything, but in particular when it comes to family, we don't have a tendency to drift into greatness, but into mediocrity. When it comes to our family, we don't have a tendency to drift into greatness. We have a tendency to drift into mediocrity. Uh, for instance, if, if I say right now, I want to get more healthy, and I'm going to keep doing the things that I'm doing in my life. I'm going to keep eating the things that I'm eating, and I'm, I'm going to keep not exercising the way I'm not exercising. And I think at some point, greatness is just going to be thrust upon me, and I'm going to keep doing these things, and at some point, I'm just going to get really, really healthy. We know that that doesn't work. There has to be some intentionality to the things that we do. And when it comes to our family, what I see often, whether it's, it's counseling couples going through some marital strife or whether it's counseling families as they deal with issues as their children grow up and become teenagers and, and they deal with some of the tension that's there, is that a lot of times they have a tendency to want to look at the other person and say, well, they keep messing up, they keep making mistakes, and, and I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. There's nothing intentional. I don't go into my relationships I don't go into to my, my relationship with my kids with any sort of intentionality. I just keep doing the very same things I've been doing, and I expect everyone else to kind of change, to, to adapt to what I'm trying to accomplish, and there's no intentionality, and there's no purpose, and there's definitely no desire on, on our part to see Jesus lifted up in that relationship, to say, man, as, as a parent now, I have a huge responsibility. As a husband, I have a huge responsibility to, like the opening song said, to, to lead our family. To say, man, this is, this is now my responsibility and this is your responsibility to say, whatever our family relationship looks like right now, even if it's a, a future family, our responsibility right now is to figure out how do I lead that family in such a way that Jesus is exalted in the very core part of our family. And the problem with that is that we don't drift into greatness. Let's read the first couple of verses of Psalm 127. It says this, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Now, I want us to see this because of the very outset it says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. It's not that the people building the home, the, the family structure, it's not sometimes even that people aren't trying. Sometimes they're not, but sometimes they are. But it says, even if their labor, unless the Lord, unless Jesus is the center of that relationship, the labor is, is done in vain. It is in vain that they rise up early and go, to late, go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved Sleep. So it says that all of the stuff that they're doing, it's in vain unless the Lord's the center of it. And I want us to realize that because I'm going to talk about the labor that we have within our family. See, if, if parenting was easy, there's all these books out about like parenting made easy and we just want to make this as easy as possible. And it, and it never is. I've never met any parent that's been a parent for any length of time that says, oh, hey, this is the easiest job I've ever had. They often say, I love it. It's, it's a great experience. We're talking today about this idea of, of parenting sometimes is, is made hard. And so if we put Jesus as the center of that relationship, if we realize, I mean, last Sunday night, we had a team of parents up here dedicating seven children in our child dedication service. 
And they came and they said, we want to make sure that Jesus is at the center of this relationship because we realize as a church that parents are the primary spiritual influence in our children's lives. And it's our responsibility as parents, not necessarily our responsibility as a church, to train up our children in the way that they should go. Now, the church, our responsibility is to partner with parents to make sure that happens. But we realize, man, that, that if, if I want to pass on the, the right behaviors to my children, if I want to teach them to genuinely love Jesus, if they don't see it modeled at home, then, then they're never going to just catch it just because it's taught. Behavior is caught much easier than it's taught. Our kids are watching us. And so here's the issue. Here's where the rubber starts to meet the road. Uh, the psalm writer here is, is writing, and he's, he's saying, listen, we want the Lord to, to build the house. If not, then our labor's in vain. We can, we can do all these things. The Lord watched over the city. Watch them stay awake in vain. It is vain that you rise up early and go to late rest. All that stuff. He says, all that stuff that you're doing, all that you're laboring is in vain unless Jesus is at the center of it. See, for every one of us, we want a particular outcome when it comes to our family. Maybe growing up, you thought, man, when I get a family, when I become a mom or dad, our family is going to look like this. And sometimes it doesn't happen exactly the way we expect it to. But in our mind, we said, here's, here's the outcome of what we want it to look like. And we want the outcome. That's our desire. But we don't want to do the output necessary to bring about the outcome. And the idea is that output is always a prerequisite for outcome. The output that we do, the, the work that we do, is always a prerequisite for, for the outcome that we bring. If we think that as, as parents, we're just going to kind of organically parent our children, we're going to kind of let them do whatever they want, and, and at some point, we just kind of have this hope that they're going to turn out to be great kids, they're going to honor Jesus, they can go, go do whatever they want, and someday, we just hope that magically all the stuff is just going to happen. It, it, it never does. When I was about 16 years old, um, I was living in, in St. Pete, Florida, and it's kind of where I grew up with my younger brother, and, and we had really, really good parents that, that taught us so much, and we're so thankful for our, our upbringing, but we had next-door neighbors at that point. Uh, in particular, the father's name was Chuck, and, and, and Chuck would always, he, Chuck came from a very rough background. I think he came from up in the Northeast, maybe New York, somewhere up there, and, and, and Chuck had a really, really, really rough upbringing. Like, really rough. Enough so that when he became an adult, he started to make a series of bad choices at, at a young, as a young adult age that was going to follow him for most of the rest of his adult years. And so Chuck, when I got to know him, was probably in his mid-40s. Uh, he had his license revoked because of repeated offenses of alcohol abuse and, and DUIs and, and whatever. So when I was 16 years old or 17 years old and I got, I got my car, Chuck would often call me to provide rides for him as, as an adult because he couldn't drive himself. And so often during those car rides to the store or wherever we were going, Chuck would just have conversations with me because he saw me and my brother. And he said, man, you guys are, are unlike other people that I grew up with. Like, what have your parents done right that you guys have turned out so well? And I kind of laughed and I said, if you talked to my parents, you probably wouldn't be saying that. But Chuck knew because he had a son that was two or three years old at that point. And already his son, Chucky, was starting to be out of control. Like, like way out of control, like way beyond the normal two or three-year-old. He was really, really starting to replicate some of those behaviors uh, that he'd seen in his father. In fact, so much so that one day 
a friend of mine and I, we were, we were hanging some, some Christmas lights out at Christmas time, and, and Chucky comes walking out at two or three years old, and he yells out from the screen door, hey, what the heck are y'all doing? But he doesn't say heck. Like, he just kind of had seen those repeated behaviors over and over, and he, he was repeating what he'd seen in his father. And so Chuck came to me at 16 or 17 years old. He said, J.J., what have your parents done that you guys have turned out so well? And at 16 or 17 years old, I didn't have an answer for him. But looking back now, if I could answer him now at 41 years old, 25 years later, if I could answer Chuck now and talk to him, I'd say, Chuck, first of all, two things I got to say. Number one, and I say this genuinely, I'm broken for you, man. Because you never saw that model at all at a young age. And he never had that foundation laid for him. So when he became an adult, he just had no structure for what that looked like. And so he just kept doing the same things that he saw. And there was this generational curse being passed on from generation to generation because with the deficiency in his life was passed on uh, to, to him and his upbringing and then eventually to his children. And at some point, Chuck, you got to break that curse. Because the second part of that is what it takes to break that curse. See, I didn't know a lot about Chuck, but I knew two things. Outside of the fact that he absolutely loved to fish, which was a good thing. But two things about Chuck that I knew is that, number one, he had a, hu- a super problem with alcohol addiction. Uh, even later on when he stopped driving, I still knew that he had a little den down, and he had a really small house, but he had, he had his man's den down at the bottom of his house, and, and, and he'd go there, and that's where he went to drink. But also, at 17 years old, where, where he would tell me that's also where he goes to view his pornography. And he said at some point that his son Chucky walked down and caught him viewing that pornography. If I could go back and say to Chuck now, i say, Chuck, if, if you want to raise children that are going to be more functional, and, and ultimately if we want to raise children that want to be more godly, we have to realize that, that our children are watching us at all times. And that when they see us do these certain behaviors, we can sit there as, as adults and, and look at teenagers and say, well, I can't believe how disrespectful they are, but they're just repeating attitudes and behaviors they've seen from, from us. I had a chance a couple of weeks ago, I was sitting at lunch with a pastor of a really large church in our area, and, and we were talking about the issue of, of pornography and how it's affecting our culture and, and the breakdown of the family in general. And there's some statistics as we're talking, there's some, some statistics that were brought up last year alone, just looking at one site. Last year alone, one site had over 23 billion visits. In one year, one site had over 23 billion visits, and those visitors watched 91 billion videos. I want us to understand the scope of that. That means for every single person on the face of the earth, they watch them on average 12 and a half times. Now, obviously, that's not everybody. It means the people that are watching are watching it more frequently. But on average, that means there's 12 and a half viewings per person that walks on the face of the earth. Unless the Lord builds the home, we labor in vain. We can try to do the right things, but ultimately, it's our responsibility to say we want to shed all of this stuff that's holding us back. And we want to find a way not just to teach our kids good morals, because I think this is one of the problems that we do as people who follow Jesus, 
is, is that we want, to, we want our kids to, be, to function in society and, and to be good, moral, upright people. And so we often teach them, hey, here's the right thing. Go and do the right thing. And we teach them how to be moral without actually falling in love with Jesus. And listen, that's on us. See, if, if, if our children fall in love with Jesus, it doesn't make them perfect. Far from it. But it does make them have a heart to say, now I want to, I'm not doing these things because I have to. I'm not doing these things because my parents have dictated these things to me. But I'm doing it because on some level, I want my life to honor the one who I say that I want to serve. It's our responsibility. The people we come in contact with, the people we have influence here on earth. Let's read a little bit further. It says this. Behold, verse 3, behold, children are heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb of reward. Children are a reward from our Father. Then it says this, I love this in verse 4. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior. Our children are, are arrows. And for just a little season, maybe 18 years, maybe 19 or 20 years, we're, we're drawing back that bow. And getting ready to let go. And ultimately for those 18 or 19 years that we have our children, that we have that influence. We're drawing back that bow and we're aiming our children in a certain direction. A direction that eventually they're going to go. And again, that's on us. And we have this short season. And last week when I sat here and I was, I was, I was just hearing the stories and hearing the letters of the parents that were up here. And one of the things that I love is it wasn't just young children, but, but even through some children that were even teenagers were being dedicated during the service. And the parents were talking about how quickly the time goes by. Even for those whose babies are still six months old, their response was to say, man, this has gone by so fast. It seems like the older we get, the years don't go by any slower. And at the end, we say, I can't believe five years has gone by. I can't believe 12 years have gone by. I can't believe 18 years have gone by. The season is so short, and during this season, we have a responsibility to aim that bow as best we can because none of us is perfect, but to aim that, that arrow as best we can towards the one who's going to be the sustainer, towards the one we talked about in previous weeks that's supposed to be the hero of their life. We draw back that bow and say, that's the direct, general direction we want you to go. Now get to it. So the number one thing we talk about is this idea we don't have a tendency to drift into greatness, but into mediocrity. We've reading down the final verse of Psalm 127, it says this. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Two things as we look at this final verse. Uh, first of all, it's talking about this idea of of blesses the man whose quiver is full. The quiver is, is the holder for the arrows. He said, blesses this man whose, whose quiver is, is full, that when those children grow up and he's in front of his enemies, he doesn't have to be ashamed because he's done his function. He's fulfilled his role as a father. And now as he stands before his enemies at the gate, the very people who, who maybe were seeking to, to kill him or to destroy him, he stood there with a quiver full of, of children who are now grown up and who say, Dad, I want to let you know I, I have your back. I can speak for, for most parents, especially when our children get in our teenage years, 
where we start to have questions, like they start to rebel a little bit more against mom and dad, and it seems like, man, are they now against me? Are they with me? Some of the confidence that we had when we were younger can be lost if we start to see our children make some mistakes or, or make some choices that we're not happy with. It can start to lose our confidence. But here, the psalm writer is saying, when those children become adults, and you can now go before your enemies, and you can stand with your children having your back, it gives you a confidence that you didn't have previously to say, I know if I conquer this, this, this facing this tough thing called parenting, that I can face whatever the world has for me. I want to say something real quick as we get to the second point. Sometimes, like I said, family doesn't exactly work out like we expect it to. And for some parents, and, and, and even for some adults, I don't mean to use these words lightly. But for some adults, the experiences that they go through in life when it comes to having kids or even not having kids can be described as nothing more than right now it seems like a a living hell. For some parents, it's, man, I tried to have kids, I got pregnant, we found out we had a miscarriage and we lost the the baby. For others, we tried to get pregnant and it just didn't happen. For others, they got pregnant, they started to raise their kids, and their children started to do things that they weren't pleased with and eventually got way off track. And we say, but there's this this promise in in God's word that if we train a child up in the way he should go, that when he's older, he's not going to depart from it. And sometimes it seems like my kids are departing. And right now, in the midst of that struggle, there's no other words but to say, I feel like this is a little taste of, of what hell would be like here on earth. That's where you're at right now. I want to encourage you with this. What seems like our living hell right now is often God's waiting room for our something better. What seems like our living hell is is often the waiting room for God's something better. For the parents sitting here saying, man, or or for the person who wants to be a parent saying, I thought this was, I thought we're going to get married and eventually have children and it's not happening we're so anxious, we're so bad, we want to see this happen, and God, why is it not happening? Or maybe even taking a step back further for the person who's single and says, I thought by now I'd be married, and it hasn't happened. Sometimes, right in the midst of the struggle that we're facing, we have to realize that this isn't, even though this dip that we're in seems challenging, we have to be willing to push through that dip. Because right now, we're in a waiting room. Where God is telling us, listen, I know things are tough right now. I know that what you longed for and what you prayed for, you're not there right now. But if you wait it out, if you be patient, if you pray and seek me in this, I promise you're in the waiting room for something that's much better. When Beth and I were first married... We enjoyed the first couple of years of marriage. We were kind of content. We were young. We were in love. We're like, hey, let's just enjoy a couple of years before we get into the, uh, the, the child years and figure out what that looks like. And, and after a couple of years of marriage, uh, we'd been praying about it, and Beth was, was much more ready than I was initially. And so we started to have those discussions about what time, when does that take place. And, and, and so at some point, we both, in praying, sought it out and said, okay, we believe now is the time. But God wasn't opening up that door for us, and we didn't know why. And I don't have time to get into the whole part of, part of that story, but uh, through a series of, of events that happened in our life, God started to open up our, our, our heart and our door for, for adoption. 
And we began to look into, okay, what, is, what does that look like? And, and, and what are the classes we have to go through in preparation? And, and there was this long, drawn-out process for us to get there. We went through all those classes and all the process and the home studies and all that stuff. And, and then we were waiting for a match. And really, at this point, we're probably a year and a half, almost two years into the process. And we're like, man, we're so anxious. We want to see that happen. And at that point, like, like we were both on board and, and we're going through this process and it just seemed like our, our caseworker told us, listen, the, the, initially the gear's going to move slowly, but just wait through the process and something better is going to be on the other side. And we said, okay, we're going to wait, we're going to wait, but patience isn't our strong suit. And we said, we don't like the wait. And at some point in that process, we got a phone call. He said, hey, there's a potential match. I believe at that time it was a brother and sister. Am I right? A brother and sister is a potential match. We said, awesome. We got really, really excited. Really, really pumped up. Like, this is it. We're finally going to have our family. We're going to bring these kids home. And then right before that, it was all going to happen. We found out that the foster home had chosen to adopt those kids. And, and, and for us, even though it was a great thing for the kids, for us, and we felt like that was our chance. And now it was ripped from us as well. In some small way, I think we felt sometimes what parents go through when you have a miscarriage. You thought, man, kid, the kid is here, the kid's coming, and, and then the kids aren't coming. It was really, really a, a difficult season. We started to question, like, is this really for us, and could we go through this again? A short time after that, we got another phone call, though. A caseworker we'd never met before said, hey, we're actually on vacation in North Carolina. A caseworker said, hey, we found a match. It's a sibling group. Well, it's not two, it's three. I said, you're crazy. What are you talking about? He started to introduce us to children we get to know as Jaheed, Hamid, and Karim. I remember sitting, and we still would go by every once in a while to uh, see where, where we were when we first got that phone call. I looked at my wife, and she's crying. I lost it. <laughs> um. And, and, man, that's a long time ago now. Our kids are growing up. Jaheed's here. I mean, Carol will be in the next service. And, and Jaheed's 23 years old, and that, that's crazy. But in the midst of the struggle, and not getting pregnant, and then thinking we had a match, and it wasn't a match, it seemed so hard. We waited out, and, and, man, there were days we had a lot of questions. On the other side, God said, I got something better. It's not that our family's perfect at all. I'm glad I'm pastoring a church where you don't expect a pastor's family to be perfect. I'm glad I pastor a church where you don't expect a pastor to be perfect. But then in the midst of that, thinking, man, all right, God, you brought us our something better. Like, like that's it. That's awesome. We're glad, man, our, our, our life is, is, we're content now. And then three years ago, God says, but, but you're not done. We went through the process of adopting Zach at the time he was born. And God has an encourager through that whole season of our life. They say, I know that you think you have life figured out. I know you, you think you have what you think is, is your best. It's going to be hard. But you've got to push through that hardness. Because on the other side of, of this hardness of life right now, there's, there's something better. 
So this morning, we're going to do this. And, and I don't know where you're at in life, but I just, I just want to pray for everyone this morning. When we're done praying, we're going to just share some information. Uh, just we have some special guests with us this morning, some really, really amazing people doing a great work. And so I just want to pray for you, and then we're going to get them to share their story. Father, I thank you for the grace that allows us to push through the, the difficulties of life. God, we know we don't drift into greatness. We have a tendency to drift towards the other side, towards mediocrity. But God, I pray for wherever people's hearts are at right now. God, if, if families are, are broken, I pray that you use this season of their life to rejuvenate those families. If there are people that are, that are single right now and they're yearning for something more, God, I, I pray that first and foremost you give them a contentment about the position of life that you have them in. God, work through their brokenness to, to bring out completion. And God, if you have something more right now today, I pray you open us up to that something more. 